0: This week, we design a study to answer the question, are all fantasy maps
1: just Europe? We're stepping out into uncharted territory. You're listening to more research required. Science and technology! Be and this is More Research Required, a podcast where we talk about all the research studies we would do if we had unlimited fun.
0: This week, I'm very excited because uh, a listener and a friend of the show pointed out to us that uh, the structure of our podcast is basically the structure of an academic paper, which is, uh, it makes me very happy. Yeah. And it, it makes our, our segments a lot more like... I don't know, cute and fun, I feel like, if we call them just like the things that academic paper sections are.
1: I think it's a little bit cute, but I think it's the kind of cute that I want to be repping. <laughs> <laughs> Good. And it's also like, we have years of training in this.
0: Obviously, clearly.
1: We have four years of writing oh, papers. Oh, I guess.
0: Yeah. <laughs> kind of, I mean, yeah. I feel like freshman year, I didn't really write full on academic papers, but maybe I did. Maybe I'm misremembering that. Anyway, now we're in the introduction
1: section of this podcast, so Amy, what's up with you? Nothing much. Uh, I finally have an apartment to move into, so that's exciting. Oh, you actually got an apartment? That's good. Yeah, I did, which is great because we we're looking at like three more weeks before one of our my roommate's leases ends, so I'm really relieved <laughs> to be done with it. I think I've walked over every street in South Philadelphia. Just all of them.
0: <laughs> well, that's good. It's good to, to like, know your way around, because I still super don't know my way around Philly at all.
1: I don't know my way around.
0: <laughs> okay, see, that's bad because you, like, live there your whole life.
1: I do my best. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> my dad likes to say, like, you know, he's American-Italian, and he likes to point out that I do have the blood of Christopher Columbus running in me, as if that means <laughs> I'd be better at navigation.
0: Okay, except that Christopher Columbus was definitely bad at navigation.
1: Yeah, he was bad at a lot of things, but maybe especially navigation, given the results thereof.
0: He was extremely wrong about, like, how big the world was and what you, where you would go when you, like, you know, sail off the edge of a map from Europe.
1: Yeah! Like, I think that if anything, I'm doing my ancestors proud by not being able to go anywhere without consulting Google Maps and still getting lost anyway.
0: Yeah, although do you really want to be doing Christopher Columbus proud?
1: Oh, I mean, I guess you're no. doing better by, like,
0: not genociding? Not allowing a genocide to happen?
1: Dang, this is a lose-lose. I've set myself up <laughs> for ultimate failure in either direction.
0: Yeah, it's pretty rough either way. Yeah. Well. (laughs) Anyway, this is super relevant to our topic because (laughs) uh, we are talking about not actually maps of Europe, but maps that look a lot like maps of Europe, like the ones that Christopher Columbus might have seen. What a smooth
1: transition.
0: <laughs> wow, thank you. I did so good. I tried so hard. Yeah, no, um, it seemed so, effortless. Yeah, I and mean, we have a question this week, which uh, was actually suggested by the same listener, who suggested uh, our new, sort of new, our same segment structure with new segment names. Does that listener have a name, perhaps? Our, our friend, Colin, and listener. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, And Colin. his question was... Um, Are high-fantasy stories with white-coated protagonists more likely to feature metatextual maps with a western ocean? And are such stories with Asian-coated protagonists more likely to include an eastern ocean, mimicking terrestrial geography? And secondary follow-up question, are fantasy
1: maps just Europe? And that's the one that I used to direct me. I'm so sorry, Colin. You deserve better.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, it was hard. There's a lot of literature on... Now we're entering the background phase of this conversation. Um, There's a lot of literature about fantasy maps I discovered, which kind of surprised me actually how much there was, but there's very little that's not specifically about Western high fantasy, which would be the stuff that's
1: based on medieval Europe most of the time. Yeah, I I am actually looking at the list of sources that I created and all of the research I did. And as it turns out, I don't think I read anything that was specifically about maps. Again, so <laughs> sorry, Colin.
0: <laughs> so what type of thing did you run into? That you, What were you reading
1: about? Okay, so first of all, we should probably talk about the influences of fantasy literature because a lot of fantasy literature was inspired by Tolkien and his Middle Earth was based on medieval Europe, because a lot of Tolkien's influences were from Germanic poetry, like Beowulf and, like, Norse epics. Those are all Europe, and epic fantasy really emulated Tolkien for a long time. Tolkien's influences are in pretty much everything right now that's in epic fantasy.
0: Right, the whole genre. I mean, you know, the, the various fantasy races, the idea of, like, you know, I mean, he didn't invent the quest narrative, but, like, a lot of similar... Fantasy works have, like, very similar quest narratives, very similar battles for good and evil. Yeah, all of that comes from Tolkien. And, right, Middle-earth
1: is so clearly Europe. Yeah, and so we have this influence from Tolkien, but we also have our other major influence in English-speaking, in English-language literature, is, like, King Arthur, you know? (laughs) Which is... Right, definitely. Definitely Europe. And that's
0: literally in Europe. I mean, England, I guess, but... Wait, is it in England?
1: It's in medieval Europe. I think it's in England or at least in lands owned by England at that time.
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like it could be in France or something and I wouldn't I but definitely Europe. Like it's definitely supposed to be in actual real-world Europe.
1: Yeah. So our two main influences in epic fantasy are Very, very European. So that's, I think, one of the first things that really makes it so that fantasy lands are set in Europe is that, like, the things that you look back towards all have the sort of mainstays of medieval Europe in them, like castles and, like, Mm -hmm. specifically European lore, dragons, etc.
0: And, right, this is specifically Western and European and American literature, not you know, other fantasy traditions.
1: With you mentioning that, I also want to point out that the University of Rochester has a project called the 3%, I believe, the 3% project. Um, And it basically is referring to the fact that the United States publishing industry only features 3% of works that are works of translation, and 0.7 of those are fiction. So that means that very few non-English language uh, books are getting are getting brought to print very and very few of those are going to be these high fantasy novels that would come with a f- fictional map.
0: Right. So, I mean, there's going to be, yeah, very little crossover, which is, I mean, like, I think it would be really interesting to study, you know, what's getting published in Asia, uh, you know, very like in various Asian countries and I mean, also in Africa and stuff. And I have no idea what that is because most of it doesn't make it over here.
1: Yeah, especially because I looked at, I looked at a paper that was a statistic. Uh, it was twenty fifteen by Buchler and Trentacosti, um, publishing translated literature in the UK and Ireland, and they had twelve years of like what works in translation were published, and. Most of them were from Indo-European languages, and especially from Western European countries. So even the works that are not in English are often from Western Europe.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I crunched some of the numbers. Um, So over a period of 12 years, 5,861 works in translation were published, and 4,215 of those were Western European.
0: I can't, like, listen to numbers and, like, comprehend that at all, but...
1: Like, a little less than four-fifths of them were Western European.
0: Yeah, that's a ton. I mean, Western Europe is such a small part of the world.
1: Yeah, and that's where we're getting all of our perspectives from. But I feel like I may be jumping the gun a little bit, because this question also refers to cartography. As you know, I didn't look up anything about maps. Did you?
0: Yeah, I did, actually. (laughs)
1: Good. Um...
0: (laughs) So, right, I, I started actually by sort of just making a list of fantasy maps that I could think of and what coast they fell on and stuff, which was very non-scientific, but just to sort of, like, get context. The majority of them are very, very obviously Europe, with some exceptions. Middle-earth, obviously, is very clearly European, and that has the, um, you know, the western coast, but not the eastern coast. Narnia is the kind of the opposite it's actually a flipped example which is unusual there are a few examples that I think are a little more unusual Oz from the Wizard of Oz books and all of those is landlocked and surrounded by desert and Neverland is an island so there are some classic examples that don't fit this but they're a little bit out of genre most high fantasy is very very similar the lands of Tortal by Tamora Pierce in her books are Almost exactly the same thing, where you see sort of like a continent with a, a western and southern coast that's very reminiscent of Europe, and then a bit of a, a southern continent below that that could be Africa. Temerant from the Kingkiller Chronicles. The Six of Crows Grisha trilogy has contents on the east and west, but most of the continents on the east and west, but most of the action takes place on the eastern continent, which has a western coast. Um, I think actually literally all of the action, you just know there's another continent out there um chronicles of Prydain, aragon redwall also warrior cats technically fits this if you count the bigger map from the second series is warrior cats high fantasy warrior cats is so definitely not high fantasy but it's some kind of fantasy i mean if you don't count the fact that it takes place in a world that has like cars and stuff like for the cats it's kind of high fantasy
1: I feel like it doesn't have the high fantasy wall- hallmarks of like there definitely being magic. I didn't read enough of those books to know, but
0: <laughs> no, there definitely is magic. Star Clan is real, and it sends them on quests, which is very high fantasy. I thought that Star Clan was a religious thing. Well, yeah, but it's like magical dead cat. Like the ca- the the dead cats are there, <laughs> like it's magic. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, that's enough about Warrior Cats for now.
1: <laughs> is it ever?
0: <laughs> yes, Don't you definitely. know this is a
1: Warrior Cats fan cast now? And what would that be called, Amy? I don't know enough about Warrior Cats to answer that question, and you oh, know God that. Oh,
0: <laughs> I don't have your pun skill.
1: Yeah. I mean, one of, only one of us can bring that to the table. I guess the pause button, but with pause with a W. Cats have pause. That's all
0: right. Yeah. They do have pause. The
1: whisker sure. whispers. I don't know.
0: Anyway, this isn't a Warriors fan cast because I only read a little bit of Warriors, and I read the first two series, which is fine. Yeah. Um, and you didn't read any of it. <laughs> or you read not very much. Anyway, let's move on from Warriors. So I did my very informal survey, um, and and actually the one actual example of asian media i can think of that i'd seen a map for was uh naruto uh and that <laughs> no commentary about that please <laughs> I, I don't watch it. i've only watched it with our um anime friends
1: there are maps for naruto
0: yeah there's a map for naruto and it it has the ocean to the east so it's sort of more of a un-asian layout Um, but I don't, like, I was curious, I didn't find a lot of information about actual Asian fantasy literature, and I don't know if they have maps as, like, a common thing that get printed in books and stuff. But I have a little more information about maps in Western fiction, which is, uh, there's actually a whole book about this, and a bunch of articles, there's a lot of stuff about fantasy cartography,
1: Um, And I missed all of it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can tell you about it now. So there's a book called um, Here Be Dragons, Exploring Fantasy Maps and Settings by Stefan Ekman, I guess, in 2013. And I did not read all of it because it's a book and I have a job. (laughs) But he surveyed 200 random fantasy novels and 34% of them contained maps. And uh, many of them contained more than one map, so there were 90-some total maps. And of those, uh, 85% showed a partial continent, so not surrounded by water. The land continued off in some direction. But he didn't, unfortunately, have data about which direction the the continents tended to go, (laughs) because that would just answer this for us.
1: Okay, Um, but also, like... I think that if someone made Europe, but it was upside down, it would still count as Europe.
0: That's very true. That's a good point. <laughs> um, all of these maps had north at the top, but mm. right, if it was literally just Europe, but rotated. I don't know. I feel like people wouldn't do that, though, because they don't want a, the, the actual like shapes and coastlines. They want sort of like the concept of Europe.
1: Yeah. So like, like
0: Westeros is a, a continent with both sides, but... It's so obviously England, because it's, like, a whole continent, and then, like, to the east, there's another bigger continent, and then one below that. Like, it's just very obviously, roughly
1: Europe-like. Hmm. I, I don't know anything about Game of Thrones, but I would not be surprised. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's literally the War of the Roses. Wait, it really is? The Lannisters and the Starks. Like uh, Lancaster and
1: York. I had no anyway, idea. I mean,
0: it it like it's got other stuff going on, but it's it's very War of the Roses, especially the beginning part.
1: I might read it. <laughs> eh,
0: I mean, you can. It, I enjoyed it when I read it. I'm just kind of over it now, like five years later, when there still hasn't been another book.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, like i I'm I'm very patient, but I know that. The fact that the show is going on and, uh, you know, George R. R. Martin is, like, changing things because of what's happening with the show and what the fans have figured out, and it just bums me out. Anyway, this concludes our Game of Thrones cast.
1: Yeah. Game of phones. That one's not good That's pretty good. Either. Thank you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, but I don't know if phones are, like, inherent to the concept of podcasting.
1: Eh, Whatever. <laughs>
0: Sorry, I keep setting you up with, with these pun opportunities for things that you don't know about.
1: Yeah, I'll pay you back somehow. I'll get my revenge.
0: <laughs> um, well, okay, fine. <laughs> anyway, so there was also uh, what we found on our journey through Fantasyland, which was a 2006 paper by Deirdre F. Baker. And she went a lot of directions with, like, philosophical stuff and, you know, Many things but she started out with a, a survey of maps and pointed out that the vast majority of them look extremely similar to the extent of having plains in the middle, a mountainous barrier to the far north or northwest that's impassable and has is, is you know called something like the northern wastes or whatever <laughs> and specifically also if there's a, a dangerous group or nation or race that's, you know, sort of other to the protagonist. It's almost always to the east or south, which is not entirely surprising and ties into some other stuff I read about, you know, Orientalism in genre fantasy. There's a paper called Incredible Geographies about that by Miles Balfe in 2007. And yeah, there's just a lot of discussion about how common it is in this kind of fantasy for, you know, there there to be a main white group of protagonists, either people from, you know, the real world or native to this fantasy world, who, but who regardless are very European and then having some other group, whether that's sort of more vaguely, the just the fact that there are orcs to the east in Middle-earth, or more specifically, the, you know, in Narnia, the whatever, mean, you know, the the race of people whose names are, like, a couple letters off from just color men who are, like, you know, very Arab and kind of evil. C.S. Lewis was not being subtle with that one. Uh,
1: I, oh my gosh, we're terrible. We're very, we're not a good species. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, I don't know if our whole species is... Responsible for this.
1: True, true.
0: Deirdre Baker did point also out a counterexample, which is Earthsea, which is all islands, and also lacks, you know, a specific like evil other location, mm. uh, which is nice. There, are, those do exist.
1: Yeah, um, I read somewhere. I did not read Earthsea, but I read that um, Ursa- Ursula K. Le Guin spent some time in Polynesia, and it's based off of her time there.
0: Oh, that makes sense. She's also been like really vocal about the main characters not being white, which is really nice. So anyway, yeah, she breaks a lot of these classic fantasy tropes, mm. um, but they're still very, very prevalent.
1: Yeah, <laughs> they sure are. <laughs> did you end up finding any um, specifically... Asiatic and uh, like Asian maps, like Eastern Eastern originating, Eastern ish set fantasy maps.
0: I didn't really. I found, I mean, so the Avatar The Last Airbender map is the whole world. Mm-hmm. So it, it shows entire continents and it doesn't do the like, oh, you know, off to the east thing. But it's, you know, very Asia inspired and, um, It's main land masses are, to my mind, pretty obviously a mirrored version of China and Japan. Mm -hmm. Not down to, like, specific coastlines or whatever, but I think that's pretty clearly where they took inspiration. But it's really interesting that, you know, they did, like, it's very Asian influence based on Asian culture. The cultures of these continents are very based on China and Japan, respectively, but they did flip the map and invert... And, you know, it's it's a whole world, so it's not, you know, the specific thing of only having one coast. But I think it's really interesting that it is a Western show, and they did flip it so that Japan was to the west of China.
1: Huh. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty interesting. And if we're not limiting ourselves to books for to find maps, mm-hmm. we should probably... I actually don't play enough video games to know this but there are a ton of video games that are made in Japan in Japan and in Asian countries and that would be an interesting way to see like what their maps are because you have to have a map in order to have a video game that's what sort of Yeah, what although a, video a lot of is. them aren't
0: on the like continent scale necessarily. Well, no. But yeah, I can't think of any any, like, large-scale maps from Asian video games, but that's just because I don't play a lot of video games, I think.
1: I can tell you about every Pokemon map.
0: (laughs) Yeah, although some, like, I mean, those are uh, good data points, probably, in that they're created by Japanese people, but some of those are set in France-inspired places or whatever. So that's also an interesting case. Yeah,
1: one in Hawaii, one in the U.S., one in France, and then the other three, I believe, are parts of Japan. Or the other four. So do
0: they actually have, like, classic sort of fantasy book maps where you can see, like, most of the continent?
1: First of all, they there is a map in the game where you can see everywhere you can go to in the game, which I mm-hmm. assume would be the entire continent. Secondly, there's a mechanic called, like, Fly, where you also get a map and get to sort of just choose where you're going. So, yeah, you do get to see the whole con- the whole continent in the game a lot of times, like, sort of whenever you want to.
0: <laughs> so like for like the the Hawaii one for example, when you zoom out to that level, how close is it to Hawaii?
1: Um so there's one main island and then three smaller islands. I would say it is definitely Hawaii inspired. It definitely has the archipelago thing going on and like I I will say there's like snowy areas and like stuff like that just because they want to get different kinds of Pokemon but I'd say it like (sighs) a lot of what makes a country a country isn't necessarily geographical as much as it is like the biome as well and like
0: yeah definitely
1: yeah the markers of the culture there and that's something that you can't really get from a map unless the map specifically notates those things
0: Right, well and that, that is something that you get in a lot of fantasy maps to some extent Be, like as uh, Baker noted you know, you often get these mountains to the north and sort of temperate plains that, uh, that are usually marked in forests and, and swamps and generally very you know, European sort of biomes, but obviously the maps go into varying levels of detail
1: there Right yeah, I mean, that's true. I guess it depends a little bit on the scale of what you're looking at.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the the original question is very much about just how are people orienting things with respect to, you know, the sort of classic fantasy map that shows part of a continent, you know, with a, a coast on one side and presumably unexplored ocean, and then to the other side, you know, maybe some sort of mysterious cultural groups that are not the cultural groups our protagonist is allied with. But, you know, that's a very specific case, and there's obviously a lot more to discuss in the realm of fictional maps.
1: Yeah, but I don't know if we can necessarily do that discussion yet, so maybe let's move on to talking about methodology.
0: (laughs) Sounds solid. (laughs) Okay, well, I have a study idea, which I don't know if it's a good one, but... We. I also very... have
1: one that I want to do that I don't think is a good one. Okay. I always am hoping it's the same one.
0: Okay. Well, you tell me yours and we'll see. I, I feel okay. like it might not be because mine is very, like, up my alley and I'm not sure if it's so much up your alley. But you go. Oh,
1: no, no. Mine is Mine is definitely not going to be the same as yours If mine's specific, if it's specifically up your alley. Okay. We have, hypothetically, because we have no funding, we basically have unlimited funding. So, exactly. That's how math works. <laughs> so, what if we got people to just draw fantasy maps? Like, what if we just got a ton of people to conceptualize a fantasy, like a fantasy setting and create a map for it, perhaps using like those um like the map makers for like even D&D websites and things? Like Mm-hmm. Will they just make Europe, uh, depending that on the country? That is a really board. interesting
0: question. Yeah, and I wonder, right? So, so what kind of parameters would you would you give them? Like, you know, describe a fantasy novel or a fantasy country or something, and say draw a map of this, or would you just say make up a fictional place and have them draw a map?
1: Well, I'm concerned that if one were to describe a fantasy novel or fictional place that people would sort of be they would be primed to think about the the fantasy novels that are made by often European white people or from a mm-hmm. European white history and so I'm wondering if like I'm not entirely sure how we would present the question but I don't think that we should specifically talk about fantasy novels just about fantasy settings and probably not mentioning anything that is specific to European lore.
0: Yeah, I mean, what if we just sort of... I mean, I feel like we need to give some context, or you have no idea what people are going to draw. You know, it it could just be like, I'm going to draw America because I'm not creative. Um, Yeah, that's... But I feel like... Yeah, sorry,
1: what? No, I just... I sort of had an idea, but it's. I always want to do too much for these, which is like, how old are you? How into fantasy and sci fi are you? Versus, do you just draw Europe?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a good question. But I. So, my concept here is that we should, um, you know, give people a little bit of priming and maybe just say, we need you to draw a map for. A fantasy story it needs to have at least one city and at least one ocean and at least one mountain range or something like that and and see how people put those things together
1: yeah I think that that that's a really clear way to do it
0: right I mean yeah we really want to sort of drill down and I think the one specific question that we're trying to answer here is you know based on nationality and, and I guess mostly just nationality are people more likely to arrange the you know the specifically specifically the location of the coast in relation to a continent that's like the main continent differently so right I, we really just want to get as specific as on that as possible probably
1: mm-hmm and that means that a lot of people are gonna have to look at a lot of maps but it's for <laughs> science
0: <laughs> yeah Well, I mean, that actually ties in a little bit to my idea, which is we don't have people look at maps. We have robots look at maps.
1: (gasps) The robots.
0: Robots. If you make robots do it, then it becomes a computer vision problem. And I love computer vision problems.
1: I don't know anything about this. Please explain (laughs) this to me as if I have never known anything.
0: (laughs) I can do that. Okay, so one of the big problems in computer science is teaching computers robots to recognize things in images and analyze images and be able to tell you know when images are all the same thing and to you know recognize lines and images is this is the field of computer vision it's a pretty big field and uh, I think you could I haven't worked out all the details here but I think that you could use computer vision and specifically possibly machine learning which is, rather than coding in specific parameters, you just give the robots a lot of data points. In this case, they would be maps, probably, and you just teach them to recognize patterns. So, right, I think what we could do here is feed a robot, a computer, a bunch of maps, I guess, of the real world, probably, is what we would do, and and train it on those to recognize similarities between maps. So you'd have sort of a. This is a little ridiculous. You'd be mapping the maps, over a space, <laughs> in terms of like when you when you fed a new map into the program, it would be able to plot it in relation to similarity, to the maps
1: in your training set. If does that make sense? Are you following me here? Um. Yes. So basically, what you're saying is you're going to make it so that the robot the robots have like The entire map of the topography of the world in their robot heads, and like as it is given maps, it can match those maps to similar, um like what's the word? Similar configurations of geography. Is that too much of a mouthful? Yeah.
0: (laughs) No, I think that that's basically. I mean, there's a like several different ways you could do the actual training. You could basically give it a full map of the entire world and say compare the fantasy maps to different specific locations in that, or you could feed it historical maps, maps from textbooks that are small pieces of the world and try to compare it to that. Although that's getting into like a whole bunch of other stuff probably. Mm. But then the idea is you train a neural net or something, you, you train a computer to on these images of the real world to recognize specific land masses, You probably want to make all your maps in this data set very simple and have the same, you know, sort of basic color scheme and maybe just like very simple vectorized coasts and stuff to, um, because you don't want to be detecting differences in illustration style, which I think is a whole different question that we could also <laughs> spend a lot of time on. <laughs>
1: Maybe we could recreate fantasy maps before feeding them to the computer. Like, yeah, I think
0: that would be a good idea. Yeah. Like, yeah, ma- make our own maps that um, have the geography of fantasy places, but are not literally just the maps taken from the books.
1: Right. Because that would just be simpler, and like, as yeah. we said earlier, quirks of illustration could be a confounding factor.
0: Right. You you do th- this with maps of the real world, and you train the robot to recognize specific areas in the real world and then you give it a bunch of fantasy maps from various fiction and you could also do it with your study and um just like maps the people drew and feed them to this computer and have it tell you how similar the maps that they drew are to different parts of the world and this is this is like very like i mean i guess all our studies are pretty like high level like not getting into (laughs) the nitty-gritty details but like
1: I, I really, really like machine learning and I think that you could do this. Yeah, I think we could too. I have a quick question, which is uh-huh. what kind of like what kind of fan- like officially licensed fantasy maps would we be choosing to run through? Because there's also a question of like sort of high prestige literature versus like, I don't want to say low, lowbrow, but um more common. No. Gosh, what's the word I'm looking for?
0: Is it is it trashy? Because, like, I know that's pejorative and a bad wor- word to use for anything, but it's trashy literature is what
1: you're talking about. Um, I guess just, like, literature that is not critically acclaimed. Uh, so. Yeah.
0: No, but, I mean, it's it's the fantasy ghetto, you know, the, the mass market paperbacks right. that are extremely cheap at any used bookstore, that kind of thing. Right. Um, and those are great books. I love them.
1: Yeah, but are they important data for what we're trying to do?
0: I think they could be, because I think that's uh, especially like, you know, a lot of sort of prestige literature, high literature, and especially fantasy that falls into that category is going to be stuff that um, that does something different. You know, Mm -hmm. a lot of fantasy that, that escapes the fantasy ghetto is stuff that people don't immediately see those same tropes and everything. So that I think that stuff is important to study too but you're not going to see I think this the the broader trend of sort of what people think of when they think of fantasy as well as you are with the sort of pulp.
1: That makes sense. And also it would be just a larger sample size. <laughs> Definitely.
0: Yeah, no, and this is actually a question like I I cited um what's his name? Ekman earlier mm-hmm. who did uh you know, he surveyed quote 200 random fantasy novels and he did not talk about how he picked these fantasy novels or like, you know, where he was getting that data, which is really bad methodology wise. Like, and we just have to assume that his his method of randomly picking fantasy books was sound.
1: Yeah, and like, is this a case where you want to just pick fantasy novels at random or is this, do you want to, like, find a you know, like a specific... Group of them, <laughs> and I think that yeah, I mean
0: that's a good question. It depends on what we're trying to do.
1: Yeah, I would say like if we use existing maps, we definitely should classify them into groups based on author. Um, what whether or not it came from like one of the big six presses or whether it came from a smaller independent press. Um, because also maybe these maps have influence from the publisher who are. You know know that fantasies based on medieval Europe sell um and yeah, that's a really good acclaimed. point, definitely, yeah, so I oh I wish that we knew how we picked those,
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it was uh, uh that book was not very scientific, I have to say, it was interesting, uh, but I um yeah, and I, I didn't approve of everything he had to say, <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, we we have. I mean, we have a couple directions we could go here. One is getting people to draw maps, and the other is sampling from maps from books. And I think, right, if we're doing the latter, we have a lot of questions about, you know, what books are are we going to sample, and how are we going to divide them up, and, you know. But I think it would be very interesting to do.
1: Yeah, and as much as I am kind of really annoyed at how hard CAPTCHAs are getting, I think that teaching the robots is the one I'm more interested in altogether, so...
0: Maybe that's... I little... do think we could add teaching the robots onto yours because we could have people draw the maps and then see how they're similar to, um, you know, the real world. But that that does fail to capture the stuff that you were talking about earlier, which is how does publishing play into this? And You know, it's not just the choice of the author. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of other people who are maybe not even making decisions based on... Their default idea of a fantasy world, but what they think people will buy as a fantasy world.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, we... I started creating my study with the idea that this was happening in a vacuum, which is clearly not true. Um, There's an entire industry made of selling these fantasy maps, and that's something that needs to be factored in. And that's why I that's why I'm sort of leaning towards looking at pre-existing maps based on the publishing industry and maybe like comparing them with people who haven't submitted their books for publishing and think or like self-published books.
0: That would be another, yeah, interesting category. I mean, right, we'd want to have, I think, a bunch of different sample groups for this, including different presses, self-publishing, and obviously if we could get maps from various other countries and other languages of fantasy, that would be ideal. Oh, of course. Although, right, I- I'm really curious about, you know, this guy sampled 200 quote, random fantasy books and found that, like, roughly a third of them had maps in them, and I wonder if that holds true across other cultures.
1: Yeah, that's a good question, especially because, like, again, if you want to lift off your podcast hat and look under it and see a linguistics hat, um, <laughs> different languages... It's always it. <laughs> Yeah, it's always down there. I'm always wearing at least two. Um... But different languages have different relationships to mental mapping and have different like are conducive to different levels in relation to mental mapping. Like um, I took David Harrison's endangered language course and there are endangered languages where basically the idea of making a map seems silly and frivolous because their language is so deeply like navigational, if that makes sense. Um, like one of those was, yeah, the, I mean, and the you the don't, TOFA, like, I need like,
0: not not that, uh, like, linguistics should not be discussed here because obviously linguistics is always relevant, but you don't want to get into a Sapir Wharf hypothesis territory of saying that the
1: culture thinks of direction this way because of the way the language is. Oh, no, I don't interpret Sapir Wharf that way, I interpret Sapir Wharf to be. Your language gives you a way that you a way to organize the way that you think,
0: yeah, I mean, that's definitely true,
1: yeah. And if your language is everything in it is like this is if your all of your directional words are towards or away from the river or something, you don't need to have a map of where the river is. Does that make sense?
0: Right, yeah, definitely. I don't know how much the cultural ideas of direction and geography tie into the actual physical locations that people, that, you know, these cultures developed in? I mean, definitely there's going to be some sort of connection there, but I don't know if it's at as much of a macro scale as, like, Europeans, the the ocean is to the west, and <laughs> Asians, the ocean is to the east. Like, <laughs> is that relevant? on You know, will, will those small sort of local-level directional things impact the way people draw maps on, like, a continental scale. I mean, probably they will to some extent, but I don't know.
1: Yeah, that's... I mean, that's what we're making this research project for, aren't we? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I mean, on that note, do you want to wrap up?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, just to conclude, I, I what we're going for with this study is taking published maps from... As many different categories of fantasy fiction as possible and uh, running them through a machine learning algorithm to um, compare them to real geographic locations and figuring out from that whether the uh, the maps by if, from Western fiction are significantly more likely to resemble Europe yeah
1: that's. <laughs> Uh, I don't even remember what else goes in a conclusion.
0: I mean, normally like results and the conclusions you can draw from that, but we don't have those because we can't actually do this study because we don't have money.
1: Yep. Yeah. <laughs> the result is empty pockets, full hearts, can't lose. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sounds good. So Amy, who's going to fund this study?
1: Okay, maybe the maybe the 3% project which I mentioned earlier. And is doing studies of, like, it's trying to increase the amount of non-English literature. <laughs> literature that's, that yeah, is translated. Yeah,
0: that's a good idea, actually. Right? Yeah. Like, I, oh, it's so interesting, right, just from a, um, you know, a sort of, like, globalization, cross-cultural perspective. I, and that's that's a good answer because I was going to say the publishing industry, but actually they really have no stake in this because <laughs> they're fine with making maps that are just all the same. So your answer is better.
1: Yeah. And also, like, we need more fantasy novels that are not exactly the same as 9,000 other ones. You know. (laughs) (laughs) I love variety, and there are a ton of articles out there that are like, hey, this fantasy novel isn't set in Europe, so we want them.
0: Yeah. Okay, so now I guess we move on to acknowledgements, if we have any of those.
1: Well... I think that we should again acknowledge Colin. Thanks, Colin. You created this fun, fresh new format for us, and we really appreciate it. We sounded great, I'm sure.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And thanks for the episode idea. If um, any any of our other many listeners, I'm sure, have ideas for topics that we should talk about, uh, you can email us at... Let me find the email. Uh, moreresearchcast at gmail.com or you can tweet
1: at us at moreresearch underscore. You can also check out our Tumblr where we post both cool memes and our own episodes and that's moreresearchrequired.tumblr.com um, We also want to thank The Crips for our theme song Marie Curie off of the album Discover Science.
0: Rate and review us on iTunes oh my if gosh. you want to do
1: that. Yeah, please rate and review us on iTunes. We're also on Stitcher. We're also on A lot of other podcast apps that are less prestigious that I'm not going to name one at a time. I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much any podcast app that you have.
1: Yeah, but not Google Play. All the other ones.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but uh, tell a friend if you found this enjoyable or rate us on really any of those apps. Oh, wait, wait. I I know we don't do recommendations on this podcast, but it's actually like relevant a little bit to this. Mm -hmm. and i'm very excited about it right now if you listen to this within two weeks of it coming out read turn of the story on sarah reese brennan's live journal which is a very fun it's it's western fantasy but it takes on a lot of the tropes in a very fun way and if you listen to it after august you can read that story in published book form which is very exciting so i guess read original fiction on live journal and stay curious
1: (laughs) a bad name.